0: Hello. Welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are putting a lid on the first half of the Bundesliga season. We're going to take stock and where the league is at right now, as well as which teams will feel happy and which will feel crappy going into the winter break. With me this week is an absolute A1 guest. You know her. You love her. She is Marie Schulte. Welcome. Great to have you back.
1: Thanks, Matt. Thanks for the kind intro. I love to be an A1 guest and always really exciting to be on at a milestone like this. You know, we're at the end of the hymn of the end of the first half of the season. So really appreciate the timing as well.
0: Nice one. It's good to have you here at a time when we can take a nice overview of things. Uh, We are going to be right back with plenty of discussion about Match Day 17's main storylines, as well as maybe maybe a few broader ones to come out of the English week to end the Hinrunda. But while I have you here, please do subscribe to the pod. Wherever you get your pods, leave us a five-star rating to help us spread the word. It really, really helps us out. And please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon. We're going to be kicking off our Scandal series Later this week, that's a series about all the biggest scandals to hit the Bundesliga in its five decades plus history. Bis gleich. Let's get going with part one of Talking Fußball Direct. The part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 17. It was, you know, the third of, you know, three match days in rapid succession, the so called Englische Woche in the Bundesliga. And if it weren't already clear from, you know, the last few weeks, at least ever since Bayern got past Dortmund in Der Klassiker, The title race is not really in a hot place right now. There is a nine-point gap at the top of the league between Bayern and Dortmund. Let's explain how we got there. First off, the Bavarians, they steamrolled Wolfsburg on match day 17 as they had Stuttgart at midweek. They capped off a nine-point haul for the English week to end off the Hinrunde. Kind of an eerie silence in the Allianz Arena Covid reasons, obviously. That, but you, you did hear uh, the strains of Jacques Offenbach uh, four times, getting getting uh, Bayern absent Bayern fans in, in the mood. It's always weird when they play the goal songs <laughs> after after the goals, and there's nobody there to cheer. And of course, Bayern they they spread the wealth as they often do. Thomas Müller, Diet Upamecano. Leroy Sané and Robert Lewandowski all pitching in on that. Wolfsburg, of course, they finished off the worst week of all the teams in the division. Zero points for their three-game set. All right, Maria, let's let's start with Bayern. Let's 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 think about where they're at right now. This team had a patchy October and November. They lost to Frankfurt and Augsburg in that stretch. They had a real humbling at the hands of Gladbach in the Pokal and a couple of near misses in there as well, games that were probably tighter than they should have been. What do you think has got them going so well here in in December?
1: I think in some ways it might just like me doing my, you know, from the home office psychoanalysis. (laughs) I think it's a little bit of an like us against the world mentality, honestly, given how much rightfully, if I'm honest, shit, they've been getting about all this pandemic stuff, the fact that it's probably the least vaccinated squad in the Bundesliga, and I think it's the team rallying, and we we've seen Diane do that, that they rally when there are you know, momentous challenges that that they bring it and they perform with their you know, to bring in like a new metaphor into the mix, like with with their back against the wall, they just go. And I think that's what's happening here. You know, we heard Kimmich has been really struggling. He's out until after the winter. He perhaps only second to Robert Lewandowski in terms of his goals. Kimmich is probably Bayern's most important player. And I think they, they really suffered during his absence in like November. And now, you know, it, it's kind of like we can do this. And Toliso has really stepped up. Um, a lot of players have really step, stepped up in this difficult time. And, Julian Nagelsmann, I think, personally, has been too lax publicly in his comments. And he's kind of like blamed the media on, like, oh, just leave us alone with all this COVID stuff, which I think is wrong. But I think his team, you know, maybe his team supports that and appreciated that because he definitely seemingly had their back. And I think a lot of it really comes down to this, you know, just them. It was kind of like an us against the world type thing going on there at the moment. And also like with, the, with that game against Dortmund, that was just the most, I, I'm not a big fan of this phrase, but that was the most like Mia San Mia game ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just think they're just steamrolling through the league right now. And with every goal, every win, every substitute who uses his minutes, like Mark Rocker recently got his first minutes of the season, you know it's kind of like everyone looks good right now. And it, there's just so much collective confidence in that club right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I feel like when you have players like Mark Rocca and, and Quarantan who you mentioned earlier, players who, you know, at various points in the last couple of years have been more or less written off by, you know, either coaches or fans or both who are now coming in and contributing, doing good things. I mean, that, means a hell of a lot, especially for a, a team that did have, let's just say, some, some notable absences at some notable times for notable reasons. And I, I, too, feel like this is a team that is feeling itself right now. I mean, looking at those goals from the Volsport game, I saw, you know, it was interesting well-worked goal, the one that Leroy Sande scored, but all the other ones were basically just Byron swarming into the opposition half and just <laughs> basically bashing the door down in a way that like a lot of teams just don't feel confident doing because they're either going to you know feel that they've exposed themselves at the back or or you know they don't feel like that's a, a prudent way to play and and Bayern I find a lot to like about the way that they push it to the limit against so many teams teams that they think that they can boss around and they you know this week was a great example they they got a four nil result and a five nil result and they you know did it in style
1: definitely and I think also I mean I will say that maybe perhaps even since the Guardiola era the squad has been getting thinner and thinner where like yes the best 11 you know Bayern's best 11 was still always the best in Europe but there were times where even the best 18 or the best like bench, you know, Dortmund would have a better bench. But I think at this time, like even though they've been so strained with like, to use a really nice nuanced American term for basketball, like people in health and safety protocol, (laughs) so people out like through exposure or just being infected, but like yes, that, did, like did a you mention
0: you're a, you're a Nets fan? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> are you outing me here, Matt? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just speaking of health and safety protocols.
1: <laughs> I know. I mean the Nets they at at yesterday's game, yesterday being Saturday night against the Orlando Magic who are currently like the worst team in the NBA. The Nets had six players at their d- disposal for five spots. So they had one substitute and um, it was it was like all rookies plus Blake Griffin who Europeans might know for having dated Kendall Jenner. I don't know if you're not into basketball, that might be a better point of reference. <laughs> but it was like all these like children, and then Blake Griffin, uh, and all their best players like James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving is another story. But they were all out for COVID-related reasons. But yeah, I think we're going back to Bayern to you know a sport played with your feet rather than your hands. Even someone like Omar, you know, he's had a really good like fall and winter. He's gotten his minutes. He's been solid which I think is the best thing you can say about a young defender, is just being solid and, like, stepping up when needed. Dayo Upamecano, I think, who's been decent since his signing, but he hasn't exactly had people, like, screaming from the rooftops, had a sensational English of like, absolutely sensational week. And so you just have these players who are more, like, the ones that kind of usually you know, they're not noticeable in a good or bad way. They, they've they just had a really good December and that's really helped Bayern. And also Leroy Sané. I mean, I think we have to talk about him. There's an argument to be made that he's the most informed footballer in European football right now. He's just been stunning um, pretty much since like mid-October and like to stick out of a Bayern Munich team in all competitions, out of all the attacking players is sensational. And I'm personally very happy that It turned out this way because at the beginning of the season, if we remember, even Bayern Munich's fans were like whistling him out of the stadium. So this is a really nice, nice change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He has had such a rough ride since joining Bayern. And he's (laughs) he's really enjoying himself right now, rightfully so. Any concern that Bayern coming out of the gate, playing their bogey side, Gladbach, you know, might have there might be a few more banana peels in store in in the Rook I mean,
1: concern? I think that would be wonderful.
0: <laughs> they get tripped a little bit. So. Concern on their I, It's behalf. just sad, you know? <laughs> I feel
1: like a, a few weeks ago, we had such a good Like We had three people. It was like a three-way tie up top. And now it's like nine points yawn. You know, Because it's, it's nine points plus, obviously, the better goal difference. So really, Bayern has to lose three times for it to get exciting again, which is very unlikely to happen. And it's so early. I mean, we're talking like before the break and that's really depressing. So yeah, I think Bayern, which is kind of an open secret. I wish people would talk about this more. Bayern struggles against teams that want the ball. They've always historically struggled against Leverkusen and Gladbach, especially Gladbach, but also teams like Hoffenheim that like to play with the ball. And they love playing against teams that play a high line like Dortmund because that is just so risky against Bayern. You know, you just need to, Dissect that once, and then you have like some of the best strikers in the world storming at your goalkeeper. But like a smart team, like like Gladbach or Leverkusen, yeah, they could. I could see them tripping up Bayern in the Rückrunde. And I, you said you used concerned. <laughs> I would be like more, you know, encouraged if that happens. To be honest,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a, a brief a brief moment to, to spare for for Wolfsburg. I mentioned already they they did they. Collected zero points from this English Evolja. They are terrible right now. Uh, the winter break really couldn't come at a better time for them. Any thoughts on the reasons for their dysfunction at the moment?
1: It's a tough one because their squad is good. You know they have a really good team. They have a new coach. Usually, even if you sign a new coach mid-season, you have like a a natural positive effect at least for like half a month or a month. But that is not the case. They're just as terrible as they were before. Under Kofeld. they're just as bad as they were before. And honestly, I mean, because we're being very honest tonight, I would say I'm worried, but it's Wolfsburg, so I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just don't think that they would be a big loss. But I think at the end of the day, they have so much quality. They have so many good players. I'm thinking, you know, people like Giavogi, Mbabu... Wichhorst, you know, Riedleback, who I'm a huge fan of. It's actually a player who was developed at Mainz. Mainz has been very good in the past few years at developing young players. And, um, you know, Wolfsburg, I don't see them doing a Schalke because the club is too stable in terms of its like surroundings. There are some good people in the club. The fans are decent fans in the sense that they'll turn up and cheer, but they're not going to like terrorise the players because the club doesn't matter that much emotionally, so I I'm not too worried that like I don't think they're going to be in free fall. I think they're just having a really really rough time right now, and the winter break could, cannot come soon enough for them. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> you know, sure. You know, give, give these give these people a good Christmas dinner, some time away from the training ground, some time away from each other. You know, it's like it sucks being on a losing team. You start getting petty with each other. And, you know, it's not being all these like jealousies and blame game, but now they're all going to go home and eat their mom's food. And I, I, I think they'll recover.
0: Well, let's certainly hope so for Florian Kohfeldt's sake, because he was he was brought in with a great deal of hope behind him, and has not really materialized after those first couple of games where it looked all right. Let's move on to talking about the, the other reason why there's a nine-point gap at the top, which is to say, Dortmund. Dortmund did not have a particularly good English of Woche. They picked up four points. They finished it off, in fact, with a loss in Berlin. And even, you know, West Berlin, folks, uh say <laughs> the same team. Can I hear
1: you smiling? Are you are you smiling? I yeah. can like hear the smile in your voice. <laughs> yes, yeah,
0: of course you are. This is a team that suffered an incredibly demoralizing loss at midweek in Mainz where they just looked hopeless. They looked, you know, they did not look Bundesliga Tauglish, let's just say, folks, because Mainz embarrassed them. And they played so much better. At home in the Olympias, Johnny. They took down the Schwarzgelben I thought it was a deserved win, a three-two win. Were you surprised by this result?
1: Yeah, I was. I think good for Hatta. You know, great note to end the calendar year on. And Hatta, they they have an interesting like team collected. You know, somehow it, it always seemed like the pieces weren't fitting. But they've got a really talented group of players who have good age. They have really good players between like their you know, late teens, early 20s up to like maybe 26. And so when it clicks, it clicks and it seems to be clicking. And um, I think this is a result that, like, in you know, the inter-office like, games where people predict scores, like no one will have had this result. But everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, I could see how this happened. You know what I mean? Because, like, Dortmund are just so good at messing up. And it just, I I kind of think, you know, good for Hertha. deserved win.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, And I see this as basically the fruits of a fundamental shift in philosophy since Typhoon Korkut has taken over. You know, Pal Dardai, great guy, great player okay coach was just so concerned with sort of defensive fundamentals with compact height as he always you know went on about that sometimes I think he sort of robbed his teams of a little bit of passion or he only allowed a certain number of players within his squad to express themselves in much of any way and and pretty much everybody else was was charged with, you know, staying compact and and not really doing a lot with the ball, working against the ball a lot. And I just see this team as, as playing in a totally different way. In some ways, what I thought their problem in Mites was, was that they played too many water carriers and not enough ball-playing footballers. And And they <laughs> basically got pressed out of the game because a lot of their players just couldn't handle the press. They don't have the technical abilities to do it. This was a super encouraging game. I love the fact that Ishak Belfadil got a goal in this game. He's been really good over the last several games setting up Stevan jovetic in a couple of games and and sort of doing a lot of uh, the dirty work but not getting the uh, the just desserts so it was it was a great pleasure to see him score and, and a great pleasure also to see marco Richter get a couple of goals he's been one of of hertha's better players um, any thoughts from you about you know anything different you might have seen from uh, from hertha since since korkut has taken over or the fact that <laughs> You know, David Corkett, when when he was hired rather abruptly, there was a lot of chatter on on social media that this was some sort of a a, a cruel joke or it was um, a, a prank, and it's really not turned out that way, has it?
1: No, not at all. And I think, in some ways, guts you know are rewarded. Optimism is rewarded, and. I mean, Koukou used a really attacking lineup against Dortmund, and that was ballsy, and it worked out great, you know, to use... I think in midfield they had Marco Richter and Jürgen Kamp, and then two strikers up front. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Instead of being like, oh, you know, we're going to hide and hope that Haaland doesn't, like, storm through a wall of, like, four defensive midfielders. That did not happen. So it was kind of like full steam ahead, And it worked out really well for them. And I I kind of congratulate them on that. Like, I think it's always interesting when there's a new coach mid season because you'll have really unexpected winners. (laughs) Like, maybe players who the fans had written off or who were kind of like everyone's, you know, everyone's culprits, so to speak. And I just feel like right now we're seeing just how much depth there is in Herta's squad. Especially because I think Suat Seyder is out injured at the moment, right? Yes, yeah. Even when Hertha played badly, maybe I'm, I'm looking at this through tinted glasses because I naturally watch him whenever I watch Hertha because I really appreciated him at Mainz and Schalke before. But even when they played badly, he's, he's been a very good footballer and it's, has shown up. And, you know, from what where I stand, he's quite an important player for Hertha. And he's not even there right now. And it's, it's like no one is noticing because all the other players have really stepped up. And like you were saying, Belford deals, great. Marco Richter is finally rewarding himself because he was always a hardworking player. But he was never really a starter under dadai You know, he'd come in like the second half, maybe be thrown a bone occasionally and start. But he was not, he was like one of the first 15 players, not one of the first 11 and he's just been sensational. So it's, um, yeah, well done, Hatta.
0: Yeah, one of the, the problems when, when Dardai was still in charge at the beginning of the season, I just don't think he ever really found uh, his team. I don't think he ever really found the way he wanted to play or which which players he wanted to play. It was a lot of changes. And, and you know, Corkut, I didn't have a lot of faith that he was going to do a lot of good things, but I'm, I'm being proved wrong. And I'm happy to be proved wrong. Uh, before we leave that behind, Erling Holland. Very frustrated on the night. Interesting, you know, he didn't get a lot of um, of good chances. It seemed like, uh, you know, especially Nicholas Stock and Jordan Tarunariga kind of had him under control. A couple of interesting scenes. He, he pushed... Nicholas Stark over at one point, sort of petulantly, when when he got the chance to sort of run after a ball that he had no chance of getting. But Jordan Rodriguez seemed to earn a little bit of respect from Holland uh, at times when they were sort of pulling each other up off the ground. It looked like they were, you know, I don't know, happy warriors together. Maybe, maybe he just likes playing against another guy who's just about as big as he is.
1: Yeah, that's like a lot of kilos colliding on the pitch with those two. <laughs> that's like a high-level collision that's Almost like an American football style tackle, for sure. I think Haaland and some of the things that I've been hearing through journalists and Asians and stuff, I think sometimes I'm worried he doesn't have the right people around him. And he's kind of like this high-level asset. And I feel like it must be getting to him because he's such a young player. And he's obviously a sensational professional. Like There are all these articles about, for example, when he sleeps, he he doesn't have any blue light in his room. He maximizes. He, it's very Robert Lewandowski or Cristiano Ronaldo esque in the sense that like everything in his life is for the sport. But you know when you already have your agent flying around Europe talking to all the clubs, just seeing how many millions he can suck out of any deal for the dad and for himself. That has me worried about like if people really have his best interests at heart. And when Raiola has really frequently openly. Positioned him for a move to Barcelona. And, like, let's be real. I think right now Dortmund has a much better squad than FC Barcelona. So, what is going on there? I think that must be getting to him. Then he had that injury, which was really his first kind of more tricky injury since he was at Dortmund. But I also think sometimes, you know, he's probably one of the best three or five centre forwards in world football already. And he's so young. And I think sometimes in a week like this where they dropped so many points he's probably like why am i surrounded by all these amateurs like i am world class <laughs> so i think he he probably has a lot on his mind right now is is what i'm trying to say
0: yeah yeah i mean there was a little bit of sort of puzzlement or concern after this game he he Kind of a, did a, did a lap of honor <laughs> around the Olympia Stadium. Some people interpreted this as his, his way of saying goodbye to the league. I, I think that might be reading a little bit too much into it. I don't think Dortmund is extremely disinclined to, to get rid of him in, in the winter. I would think that unless they got some insane bank breaking offer, they would not even consider it. But I also think that he's definitely leaving in the summer. And, and truthfully, you, you were talking about this, this, you know, European wide tour that Mina Raiola, his agent has been going on, you know, with lots and lots of big clubs trying to sort of drive at the price. I really think he's going to go to Real Madrid. And I think that I've, I've thought that ever since he got to Dortmund, I think that, you know, Real Madrid is the type of club that, you know, for lots of deep political reasons, even though that always looks like they don't have enough money somehow when they need the money, the money always is there. So I don't even know what this tour is about, because he's just going to end up in the place everyone, or at least I always thought he was going to end up in. What's that place? Real Madrid. <laughs>
1: oh, I don't think so. I think Real Madrid is going to get Mbappé. I think
0: they want both. That would be bold. I, I've thought all <laughs> along that is their plan, to get both Holland and Mbappé and just tell the rest of, of Europe to piss off.
1: I I don't know. I, I, I still kind of think, I see Holland in the Premier League, to be honest, because that's where its dad was. and. I don't know. I think it'd be hard. Oh,
0: if, dude, he's too—he's too smart for but that. But it's a lot he's of too money. Too
1: smart for that. <laughs> it's a lot of money, which apparently he cares a lot about. You know, <laughs> if we—if we are to believe Mino Rayola. Did
0: you see his Instagram this summer? He doesn't want to play in England. He wants to be—he hang out by the pool. Yeah,
1: but you know, he could probably have a pool in some like mansion apartment in England, or you know, all these players in—in in, who live in Manchester, they all have indoor pools.
0: <laughs> you're not telling me that's the same as uh <laughs> you know taking a quick flight to Ibiza come on now
1: <laughs> I think it's a lot of it is gonna be backroom CD deals of how many tens of millions are gonna go to an bank account and to the dad's bank account I think we've got like a Neymar situation on our hands here where it's just about like money and lots and lots of money and I you know I and then then, then there are like the little moving parts like what is Ralf Ragnick going to do? I mean, what if Ralf Ragnick decides to tune on the charm machine and be like, oh, why don't you play with Jaden Sancho again and come to Manchester United and we're building something big, blah, blah, blah. But I think pretty much one of the big six, maybe not Arsenal or Tottenham, but the big four, if we want to call them that, sorry, that's a little rude towards those North London clubs, but the rich four <laughs> yeah, yeah. in England, they could all easily afford him. So I think that that could be really fun to see him in the Premier League. Um, And United definitely would need him. You know, City might need him as well. So there's definitely, I think any club in the world would be lucky to have him. It's just who's going to get their hands dirty and, you know, kiss Rayola's feet and really open the bank account, I think is what it's going to come down to.
0: All right. So, yes, stay tuned, everybody, for uh, the summer of 2022, which will will surely be uh, punctuated by, you know, story after story about Erling Haaland's next destination. Let's talk a little bit about another team that went three for three in the English week. They took themselves from 12th place after match day 14 up to now sixth in the process. That was Eintracht Frankfurt. It's been a long time coming. This season, But I I really think Eintracht are as good as anybody right now. They had a couple of comeback wins against Leverkusen and Gladbach on uh, match day 15 and 16. So maybe this 1-0 win over Mainz might have been their least impressive, least entertaining, whatever. But I think their fans will certainly take it in a match with a lot of regional significance. Marie, what are your thoughts about everything falling into place for the Eagles all of a sudden?
1: I mean, first of all, I think it's bloody hard to beat Mainz. Yep. I actually I think Bo Senson very much sooner than we think is gonna be a household name in Europe. And I think he's the next coach who's gonna be made in Mainz, who's destined for bigger clubs in in Germany or Paris or England or wherever. It's sensational what he's gotten out of that team. I still think it's a very below average team, but ever since he's come in charge, I think something like the calendar year league table, Mainz is like fifth or something ridiculous. And they have a really, really strong defense. They're like a fortress at home. And they're the new, uncomfortable team to play. Like they give a lot of bigger clubs a headache. So for Frankfurt to to beat them is already like a big deal. And I think also that some of the summer signings who were not really doing well at the beginning are starting to kind of like kick into gear and Frankfurt has had like a really tough adjustment I wouldn't say just year but years they've had so much turnover especially like in their attack pretty much since the Nico Kovac era so I feel like they had a lot of growing pains and um, it's working I also I wanted to pick out one player and that's Indika the defender I think He, like maybe in December, maybe even November as well, has been such a standout Bundesliga defender for me. And he's always had that potential, but he's been kind of inconsistent. But he has the potential to be a European, like top, top central defender. Uh, But I think now on top of that, he's also been like a really good leader. And he just, I think, has, has done a lot for this team in recent weeks.
0: Yep, yep, for sure. Also notably, I thought, you know, fairly obviously really is uh, Jesper Lindstrom, who, you know, did not exactly start off the season on fire, but is coming on strong at the moment. He's got a goal in each of the last three games. I mean, for for a 20-year-old player who's really just sort of getting used to life in in the European top league, I think uh, it could be really interesting to see where he goes for the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, for sure. And um I mean, like you said, he's so young and I think for a you know, midfielder who's creative and scores goals, it, it's kind of like the sky is the limit, especially if they're that age, because people I feel like have so much imagination in soccer where like you need literally maybe five good games and then a bunch of clubs are gonna be interested in you. <laughs> So it seems like he's really turning his season around and um, to the benefit of, of everyone involved, it seems.
0: All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with the rest of match day 17. Okay, here comes part two of talking Fußball Direct, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This was match day 17, of course, the end of the Hinrunde, as, as the Germans call it. I think we should probably start with Freiburg. Freiburg were 2-1 winners over uh, Bayer Leverkusen, that basically put them into third place, which is quite a handy place to be for a club of uh, SC Freiburg's uh, stature. I think we all know what that means for them. Do you feel like heaping any praise on Freiburg? Because it's something that I think we all just need to do from time to time because it feels great for them to, to do well.
1: I don't remember the last time I didn't heap praise on them. It seems like every time I come on the shows, we're like, holy like, shit, what are they doing up there? I, I don't think I've ever been on this show and we're like, mm, we're worried about Freiburg. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> it's always like, wow, they're seventh. Wow, they're fifth. And now it's like, wow, they're third. I, I will say like, I'm really impressed by how well they handled the switch to the new stadium. Cause that old stadium had a lot of soul and it was just like a place that, you know, garnered respect from opponent players. When, when they walked onto that pitch, it was like a special place. And, uh, it's hard to recreate that, like ask any Arsenal fan, you know, I think the Emirates is not Highbury. Ask a fan of any club, to be honest, it's hard. It takes like years and years to bring that culture over to a new venue. And, um, they just don't even seem to care. <laughs> so that's just something I wanted to point out, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear what, what praise you have for them. <laughs>
0: I largely wanted to um, – I mean, because you're right. We have praised them all season long. We've talked about quite a few players who have made an impact over the course of of the season. I, I wanted to point out the performance of uh, Kevin Shada, who, of course, scored the, the winner in this game in the 84th minute. This was a pretty tightly contested game, I thought. And, and you know, if there was going to be a winner, it was going to come from a sort of uh, – a special moment, and it was his. He's also quite young. He has only been, you know, with the first team at Freiburg for, for, for a short time. Uh, this is his, you know, second goal this month. I just find it wild. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Schott is not a lifelong Freiburg guy. I mean, he's, he's actually from Potsdam. He came through the Energie Cottbus, you know, youth system largely, but like Freiburg. It's a freaking factory over there. Like, you know, last last season we were all talking about, um, you know, Roland Shalai, who like now isn't playing. And we've got some other guy playing on the wing and he's killing it as well. Like, Freiburg just seemed to have another couple of excellent young guys in their back pocket at all times. And they're ready to make some money because that's what this club is, is built to do is is bring up young guys – sort of polish them up and sell them for a lot more than you bought them for
1: yeah i'm actually pretty smug about kevin shader because i noticed him in some games in the summer um and he's also been like a germany youth international for a while mm-hmm. so i snatched him up very cheap for like half a million which is the lowest price in my manager game and now he's at like he's like I don't know, 20x his value or something. So I'm like, ha! Nice. I've got the like talent sphere eyes or whatever, but that has often worked against me too. So I'm not, I don't have like some magic scout eye or whatever, but he's fun. He's a fun player to watch. I think sometimes at the beginning of the season, he was a little too playful, not really efficient enough. You know, he sometimes made the wrong decision, but he has skills and he, I remember he, when he got his first appearance of the season, he was subbed on in like the 70th minute or something in in September. And two minutes later, he got a yellow. Like, he means business. Like, he's going to really care whenever he comes on. And um, yeah, he seems to be the man of the moment. I actually thought, like, obviously, it's great that he got the winner in this game. But I think his, like, coming out party was against Gladbach when he was just the best Freiburg player. and at that age you know in a stadium away from home against some world well maybe not world class but you know what I mean like some pretty big names on on Gladbach's team to be like gonna that much attention and draw so many fouls and always be the player that other players want to pass to it reminded me a little bit of and I'm not saying at all the playing style don't get me wrong I'm saying like the importance for the team it reminded me a bit of Leroy Sané at Schalke where he was is the same age and he was the player that guys like Huntela would want to pass to, because it was like, if you give it to him, he's going to do something good with it.
0: Yeah. I I thought that's where you were going. And I'm I'm very pleased (laughs) that you did. I remember, I remember watching Leroy Sané for Schalke on that first season, a couple of times live actually. And really, really fun. And one of those guys who instantly wins the respect and and love of his teammates for just being bold and and doing good things with the ball. Okay, real quick, terrible, terrible English evoca for Leverkusen. They got one point from three games, and you know, you know, blew a big lead in their first one. Didn't exactly play poorly in any of the games, but ultimately just didn't show the requisite. I don't know concentration or something to sort of keep hold of games that were really winnable for them.
1: Yeah, I mean they're just a really frustrating team. I think maybe maybe with that, I'd like to hear your your take on it first because I think sometimes I approach them from the from the same angle, but this it's definitely been tough to watch. That.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit puzzled by it myself. I guess I really have to go back to that result from the beginning of the English revocable. The one where they went two up on Frankfurt and then ended up losing 5-2, which says to me that they run a little bit too hot and cold, or they sort of allow themselves to get caught up in moments a little bit too much. This is obviously, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of silly uh, armchair psychologizing. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm not really convinced. I'm at a loss.
1: I just think it's so frustrating. They're so wasteful with their quality. And it's like so laissez-faire. It's like, I I mean, I, I said this, I think, in November, the amount of quality that they have, that is like once in a decade to have that many young players superior quality in your squad performing well together that I was like I, I think I put this on Twitter or I was talking to some friends I don't remember but it's like what Monaco had in 2016 when it was like uh, Lamar and Mbappé and Bernardo Silva you know and then like what Ajax had when they had Licht and um, the other one who had a similar name the defender whatever his name is the one who's now at Juventus jong uh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. De Ligt is the defender and, and then De Jong and they had all those talented players and Hakim Ziyech, of course. And I feel like this is this is where Leverkusen is at right now. It's not obviously everyone talks about Florian Wirtz and Moussa Diaby and, you know, more recently Patrick Schick. But they have so many good players. They've got Tabsoba, like Bakker has been good before he got injured. They have just have so much. Now Palacios is getting good. finally, they have so much quality in that team, and they're all of like a great age. And it seems like they're just like happy to play beautiful football and see like where it takes them. Whereas, really, if they got serious, this is the season where they should contend for the title. And so, that to me is so frustrating to see like it's like wasteful beauty in a way and just sloppy with like how much quality they have.
0: Yeah. I'm certain that people who follow Leverkusen feel really frustrated uh, after weeks like this. Let's move on. People who follow Bielefeld probably feel really good after (laughs) this English week. They bounced back from uh, a loss to Hertha on the first of the three games in sequence to beat both Bochum and Leipzig to end the week. Six points for Bielefeld. I thought that this was both a surprising result just from sort of relative... um, (laughs) you know, squad values, wage structures, all that. But also a little funny in that this this really was Domenico Tedesco's first troubling loss, I think, as Leipzig coach. Yeah,
1: it was pretty embarrassing, let, let's be honest. I don't really know what happened. I mean, you have those days where, like, apparently everything goes wrong. I, I mean, no disrespect to Bielefeld, but this was very much Leipzig's game to lose, not, like, Bielefeld's game to win and it's it's, it's, it's kind of strange I, I sometimes I'm second guessing myself about if Leipzig has the same amount of quality they had in previous years because it's been like they seem to be like a Europa League level team this season whereas we've gotten so used to them being either the second or third best team in Germany for the past like five years or so and they just seem to be slipping. And I think it, it has a, some, somewhat to do with like losing your two best, your starting center backs in the same summer, then you know struggling basically for now a year and a half, struggling to replace Timo Werner and his, his goals for the club. I don't know. I feel like I, I rate Domenico Tedesco highly, and I think that was a really interesting appointment. Because in some ways it's good timing because he is a more pragmatic coach. And I think that's what Leipzig needs right now. They just need someone to like steer them back into, you know, the top four. And I, I think, you know, he'll use the time over the break to like imprint his tactical setup onto the team. But I, I think there are some deeper issues that maybe we're not even seeing yeah, I mean, maybe tell me tell me your take, what would you think might be wrong at Leipzig this
0: season? Oh, well, I mean, I think most of what's been going on this season has been the sort of rejection by the squad of what they were trying to do or what Jesse Marsh wanted them to do, which is to go back to the sort of extremely reactive, only, <laughs> only pass forward as quickly as possible at all times type of, of football, which they – just clearly didn't want to play anymore. This result is just crazy, though. I mean, this particular result against Bielefeld, I mean, they were at home. Bielefeld were down to 10 men for the last 20 minutes and scored with 10 men, their second goal. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel like this was a game that that just got away from Leipzig. I'm I'm not sure if reading too much into it makes a lot of sense. But it does from the Bielefeld perspective i think it actually makes their trajectory look a lot better it certainly makes the relegation fight a lot more interesting you know they were never quite as hopeless as as Fürth down at the bottom of the table even though they were right next to them for most of the way but they've essentially closed the gap to the playoff spot now i mean they're only 1 point behind Stuttgart in uh you know 17th which means that like there's just a ton of teams in play right now who very easily could um, get themselves mixed up in the relegation battle, and, and the truth—just looking at the Bundesliga table right now—and I, I think I probably could have mentioned this when we were talking about the situation at the top. You know, with with that nine point gap between Bayern and Dortmund, and then another five point gap between Dortmund and Freiburg. You know, the Bundesliga is just a lot of a lot of like mediocre stuff this year i have to say yeah like i there's just there's not a lot of teams that i think are truly good and there's only one team that i think is truly bad yeah it's not the best place to be i have to be honest
1: no i think that's a good read i i have not heard it like that but when i do hear it it's kind of spot on and i think kind of what you're saying about this just like this big middle i also feel like this is the first year in a while where we haven't had, like, breakout, breakout young stars. You know, we have promising stars. Like, Burkhardt has done very well. Kevin Schad is an interesting one to watch. Jude Bellingham is confirming his impressions from last year. But we haven't had, like, a zero-to-hero person who everyone is like, oh, which English club is he going to go to? Or, you know... And it's kind of a shame, because I feel like that has become the Bundesliga's trademark in years past. And I i mean, I will say like something that I really enjoyed, of course, the, the team that I grew up supporting, they're not in the Bundesliga this year. So it's been liberalizing just being able to pick games to watch and instead of torturing myself over like defensive football, being like, yeah, I'm going to watch Gladbach. I'm going to watch Leverkusen. I'm going to watch Dortmund, you know, and just like hopefully see good goals but there haven't been that many great games either like i think the game dortmund v bayern was a fantastic game you know that was like 3 weeks ago 2 weeks ago and i've seen some very very good leverkusen performances but it's i don't know it hasn't really been a blockbuster season yet so hopefully we will we'll, we'll see more of that in the new year
0: yeah well let's talk a little bit about a couple of teams who are down in that sort of maybe relegation trouble area one being uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach oddly enough they are on 19 points just two points above the playoff spot they uh, you know they couldn't hold on to a 1-0 lead late against Hoffenheim Hoffenheim of course who have been sort of on the up and up lately up in fifth place at the moment also Stuttgart Stuttgart have not really gotten it going this season and continued to not have it going at least in in, in terms of holding on to a result late on much like uh, Gladbach in this case however it was a loss a loss in cologne antony modest shocked the swabians with a kind of a signature powerful header the only goal of this game the one that gave uh, cologne all three points thoughts on gladbach and stuttgart you know i guess the the, the quick read that i think has been going around for 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 most of the season has been that stuttgart has had injury problems and gladbach are getting used to a new coach is there something else
1: there i mean i will say i'm not concerned about gladbach i don't think they're going to have a miraculous rise and end up you know qualifying for europe but i think they'll they'll have a comfortable rest of the season i am worried about stuttgart just cuz they seem to be spiraling a bit And I think it's a shame because it's a great club to have in Germany's first tier. It's one of the really big clubs in Germany, historically speaking, and the fans care a lot. And it has a a great, like, culture to itself. And I think it's sad because I like their coach. The coach has done good work there in the past. I like a lot of the players. They are good. Like, Fürich is really interesting. Massimo is interesting. Mavropanos is fun to watch. Like there's a lot of quality there. Um, it just seems like they're a very unsettled team right now, and yeah, I I think they could go down, which would just be a real shame in my opinion. So I'm I'm definitely more worried about Stuttgart than I am about Gladbach.
0: Yeah. Okay. I I think that's a that's a fair read on things. Oh, you yeah, own Berlin.
1: Oh, Silas. I should mention. You know, Silas Vanangituka, Or, you know, I can't really keep track of what we are calling him these days, but very, very talented player. And he's back from a really terrible, terrible injury. So I think that was a sigh of relief from everyone in Germany because he is the type of player that fans from all clubs liked watching last year. And um, I think if he fully recovers and regains that trust in his body, he could really help lift Stuttgart in the new year.
0: Oh yeah, that dude is a force of nature. I'm I'm <laughs> whenever I watch Stuttgart and he's healthy, that's the guy who I want to be watching. Yeah. I wanted to move on to the last couple of games, uh, just to mop things up here. Union, Berlin. They kept hold on to seventh place going into the the Winterpause. Uh they got a win in Bochum, Max Cruza. Scored that goal that um, won them the game. Bochum probably should have taken a bit more from this, probably should have earned themselves a draw if only Miloš Pantović could finish a little more cleanly on the day. And uh, Augsburg and Fürth. This was the If a Tree Falls in the Forest with No <laughs> One Around special of the week, which actually lived up to its billing in that, um, you know, Augsburg traveled to Fürth and, and nobody scored. Any thoughts about that last quartet of teams?
1: Yeah, I think Union, kind of secretly, without any of us really noticing, has one of the best defences in the Bundesliga. And um, they just have somehow assembled some very above-average defenders, and together they're like an absolute wall. Like I'm thinking like Robin Knoche, Christoph Trimmel, Marvin Friedrich. Ryerson has been a really interesting one to watch like at fullback or defensive midfield, he's very skillful. And, um, yeah, I think they, they've just been a lot of fun. Um, although, you know, defence doesn't sound fun, but, you know, Union adds a lot of spice to the league. I think we can all agree on on that. And uh, so that's, out of those four, that's probably the team I'm most interested in. <laughs> and, yeah, I think third Augsburg, you described everything that needs to be said about that game. <laughs> so I don't have anything to add there, Especially because there weren't there weren't even any goals. So
0: Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean are Hopeless and Augsburg traditionally don't play the most attractive football. So that's that's a very easy game to ignore. Bochum Union, I, I w- that's a game I wish I, I could have seen, you know, not in from the respect that I think it was a terribly good game, but just because I, I want to make a point of watching more Bochum in, in the second half of the season. That's uh, it's been great to see them be as solid as they have been to sort of really separate themselves from, from, you know, their fellow (laughs) promoted side. So yeah, I, am I'm interested in seeing where things go with them.
1: Yeah, for sure. I agree. And it's just, they, they have, they've assembled an interesting team, very kind of scrappy, but they have some players that can really play. So that's been fun to follow.
0: All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. Great to have you back, Marie. And, and you know, I can't believe we were able to tear you away from your your blockchain crypto <laughs> NFT reporting duties these days.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, thanks for very helpfully mocking me for that. I think it, I deserve it. It's, you know, it's an interesting fit. I think there's a lot of overlap with sports, and I think, the the cultural stuff more so the nfts more so than perhaps like the actual cryptocurrencies is very easily explained to any sports fan because you can explain things like artificial scarcity value of digital art value of different things because it's i always think it's like how we all traded you know how we would all open packs of panini like world cup collectible cards when we were little to fill those albums or Maybe baseball cards when you're in the US for American listeners. And yeah, so that's kind of how I understand it and explain it to people a lot of the time. But it's funny. I think it's a lot of the same people are interested in the two. There's definitely an overlap in the crowds of like sports fans and then like crypto and NFT people. Uh, it's a fun beat to to report on for sure. It's very lots of interesting people. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, oh my God. I, I, Probably just about as many, if not more, that, than the Bundesliga. How, how's how's the Bundesliga's NFT game coming along?
1: That you will not be surprised to hear was the first NFT I bought.
0: <laughs> so it's
1: like uh, tops, like T O P P S. Sure. Oh yeah. The company that ha- holds the licenses for a lot of sports. I think they they hold the licenses for NFL trading cards and baseball cards in the US. Um. So two of the most popular sports for collectibles in america they have the license to do the bundesliga nfts starting in the past season so the, their first the first time that they did nfts of bundesliga players was the COVID season basically the 2020 2021 season so there are like erling Haaland cards but then there are also like Jaden sancho cards before he switched and so I got myself a few of those and you can pay in normal currency. Like you can just pay by your credit card. You don't have to like get currencies and you can pay on the website. And I think if anyone is interested in the space, it's a good experiment because the, the cards are like cheap. Um, they're different rarity tools. It's not going to break the bank and it might like make you understand the space a little more. So I, I bought a random, like I bought one pack and it, I just got random cards. Like I got a uh, from Mainz. And some other players, but then the ones that I chose to buy, I bought the most common rarity scale because I was like, I'm not going to pay a lot of money for this. So I bought a Jaden Sancho card and a Leon Bailey card because I thought it was cool that they were in the Bundesliga for a while. And this was, I bought them maybe in September, so they were already they had already moved on. And Josh Sargent as well, and Chris Richards. So I obviously have such a soft spot for like Americans and English people coming to the Bundesliga. I always think that's really interesting. And um, then I bought some Schalke players because, of course, they're not in the Bundesliga anymore. (laughs) So, So I have like an Amin Arit NFT and a Matthew Hoppy NFT. And I think in total, I spent maybe like 35 bucks on those. So it's more for sentimental reasons. Like I definitely don't plan on like selling them or flipping them or something. It's more like I just wanted to see what the experience is like.
0: Nice. That, that, that's really sweet. What a great digression. Oh, you can follow uh, Marie on Twitter, of course, at uh, Marie <laughs> Shubo. You can watch her YouTube show, Marie's Bundesliga Minutes. And, and if you want to contact me, I'm, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter. Talking Foosball Extra will be back on Wednesday to wrap up the doings in the Zweite Liga and below. And don't forget, the Scandal series kicks off on Patreon this week as well. This is next Mel. y'all.